Father, we are just blessed with so many great and precious promises that you have given us through your word. And Lord, we know by the Spirit of God that every single promise that you've given us in this Bible is absolutely true. Lord, you've given us the promise that we can have your divine power available to us for everything that pertains to life and godliness. And Lord, what a great promise that is, and we're going to see that today. Lord, you've given us your divine nature, your, your very life. Lord, you've given it to us in our souls if we're truly born again. So, Lord, the question we want to ask ourselves today uh, is, are we, have, do we sense that power, Lord, in our lives? Do we, do we manifest your power in our lives? Lord, are we doing the kind of things that, uh, that we would expect when, when we're gifted with your eternity? eternal life, Lord. And, and that's the question we want to look at, Lord. And if we're leaking your power, if we're not manifesting that power, then show us how to fix that leak today, Lord. It's just a great word here for us in these few verses in, in Second Peter. And Lord, I can only uh, teach that word uh, if everyone's ears is opened by your spirit and their hearts is open to hear your word. So I ask today for a special anointing on this congregation as, as we go through this a little passage, Lord, this rich passage. I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. A few years back, BP discovered an oil leak in the pipelines coming from their largest oil field in Alaska. And immediately after they discovered the leak, they shut off all production in Alaska and they cut back drastically on the production uh, at their refineries. Uh, and what they did, they took all of their efforts and concentrated all their efforts on fixing that leak because they understood that you could produce all the oil you wanted and you could refine all the oil you wanted, but you've got to get the oil to the refinery. And if they didn't fix the, 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 the pipeline, then they weren't going to refine any oil. And so uh, they concentrated all their efforts on, on fixing that leak. Now, why do I give you an illustration like that? Because I believe many Christians have sprung a leak. I mean, in the pipeline that brings the power of God into our souls. And instead of putting all our efforts into fixing the leak... What we do, we go right on uh, with our moral, working our moral refineries, trying to fix ourselves and trying to do our ministries. And it doesn't work because we don't have any power. We don't have the power of God. So if we're struggling in life, if we're struggling in life and living a godly life, if we're struggling in life in the ministry that God's called us to, then maybe it's a good idea to just back up a little bit. And focus our efforts on finding where we're leaking power and fixing that leak. Because what we're going to see in these few verses here in 2 Peter today is that if we are manifesting the power of God, if we're filled with the power of God, uh, we're gifted and called to be very, very special people. Very special people. People who are great witnesses in this community in which we live. 
But if we're leaking power and we don't have the power of God, then we're not going to be those witnesses. Now, as I said last week when we got into 2 Peter, I mean, this is a book uh, full of what you might call theological bombshells and theological gems. I mean, there's some really great stuff here just in these first few verses in, in, in 1 Peter. I mean, go back and look at what we looked at last week. I mean, he throws a surprise at us right away. He says, Simon Peter, a bondservant. Now, wait a minute. Simon Peter was supposed to be the foundation of the church. He was supposed to be the vicar of Christ, as some say. He, he doesn't say that. What does he say? I'm a bondservant. I'm a bondservant just, oh, I'm an apostle, but I'm a bondservant just like you are. And how did I become a bondservant of Jesus Christ? Did I earn it through my good works and all the great things I did? How did I earn it? He says in, verse, in the last part of verse 1, to those who have obtained like precious faith. In other words, Peter didn't earn it, he obtained it. How did he obtain it? Look at the last part of that verse. By the righteousness of God, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now there's a theological gem right in that last passage there because, because he says our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's not talking about two gods here. He's talking about Jesus Christ who is divine. He is our God. And we've been given the same faith that Peter's been given. And by receiving, by, been, by having that faith, we also have been given the very righteousness of God. Now, how can you get any better than the righteousness of God? Can you do any better than that? No. So you can't earn your position with God through any religion or through any works. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So it's, it's a gift. So, man, that's really good news. And then he says in verse number two, he says, grace and peace multiplied to you. How many of you want as much grace and peace as you possibly can get? Man, I know I do. And he doesn't say, I'm just going to add, it's going to be added to you. It can be multiplied to you. I mean, you could have more grace and peace than you possibly can imagine. Wouldn't that be great? Man, I, I tell you, I don't know about you, but I don't always feel like I've got a lot of grace and a lot of peace. And if you got the grace, you got the peace. And if you got the peace, you got the grace. But boy, when you don't feel like you're at peace with God, you don't feel the grace. That's the grace of God. You don't, you don't, you're not experiencing the gifts of God when you don't have the peace of God. And, and Peter says here, that can be multiplied to you. Not just added to you, multiplied to you. How? In the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ, our Lord. In the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ, our Lord. Look at the very last verse in 2 Peter. What's Peter say? In the very last verse, chapter 3, verse 18, he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. That's his last word to you. That you're to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Why do you want to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ? Because when you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, grace and peace are multiplied to you. They're not just added to you, they're multiplied to you. 
Now, that, does that mean I go find a historical book about Jesus and I study it and I learn all the historical facts I can about Jesus? And if I learn all the historical facts about Jesus I can find, then, then, then which really most of them are right there in the gospel, if I can just memorize the entire gospel, I know everything there is to know about Jesus Christ, will I have grace and peace? No, that's, that, that word knowledge there means much more than just knowing facts. It means knowing Jesus Christ in a relationship. There's two words for knowledge in the Greek. Actually, there's more words, but there's two that, that you see most often in the Bible. One is gnosis, and one is epinosis. That little epi, that, that preposition in front of the gnosis, that means piled upon. That means you pile knowledge upon knowledge. You, you get a deep knowledge of someone. You cannot get a deep knowledge of someone by knowing facts about them. How do you get a deep knowledge about someone? in a relationship with them. And so we want to have epi-knowledge. We want to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so, man, he's given us all of that in just, in just two verses. And then in verse 3, he really lays the bombshells on us or the theological gems on us. Listen to what he says in verse number 3. He says, he says, as his divine power has given to us, now this is, this is rich, so hang with me and think about every word here. As his divine power has given to us some things, all things that pertain to life and godliness. How do we get it? Through our works. How do we get it? Through his power. His power. What kind of power? Is it? Is it? Battery power? No, it is divine power. You don't stick your hand in a light socket. You stick your hand into, into the life of God. That's what you do. He, he, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, here we go again. Through the knowledge of him. See, through the knowledge of him. That's how you get all things that pertain to life and godliness. Who, of him who called us by glory and virtue. Now, let's back up and look at this verse just a little bit. And what the first thing that I want you to see here is the tense of this passage. Is it past tense when he says he's given us all things or is it future tense? He will give us all things. What does it say there? He has given us all things. By the way, if you're not good at English, that is past tense. That, good, I'm glad you got that. That is definitely past tense. I don't think we, I think we might read it that way sometimes, but I don't think we believe it. How many of you believe God's given you everything you need for life and godliness? And for, for the glory and virtue of Jesus to be just exactly like Jesus Christ. How many of you believe God's given us all that? How many of you are exactly like Jesus Christ? Why aren't we? Why aren't we? Because we're leaking power. Because it's been given to us. I mean, how much has been given to us? All things, everything we need. You know, Paul says the same thing over in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. He says, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God has blessed us. Now, you English majors, is that past or present? Past, great. That's past tense. God has blessed us with every spiritual Every, what's every mean in the Greek? Every, man, y'all are good at all of this. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. 
How do, the, how do we get those blessings? By his divine power. That's how we get it. By, you don't earn it. You can't generate it in your own strength. You get it by his divine power. Theos, dynamis. Theos means what? God. You've heard of theos before. It means God. Theocracy. You've heard that term. That comes from theos. It's a form of government where God rules. One day there will be a theocracy on this earth. Hallelujah, right? But then there's theos dynamis. You think of any English words we might get from that Greek word dynamis? You know what dynamis means? It means explosive power. What, what word maybe do we get from dynamis? Dynamite. A dynamite certainly represents explosive power, doesn't it? Dynamo. What's a dynamo? It produces great energy. A dynamic. What's a dynamic? It's something that produces a great change. And so what Peter is telling us right here is this, that, that we have, we, uh, God has given us all the power and energy we need to stimulate a great change in our lives. That's what he wants to do. He wants to make a great change in our lives. And, and the only way he can do that, we're going to see in the next verse, he gives us spiritual life so that we can live godly lives. You get that? He's got to give us, for us to have the power of God, we have to have the life of God. And how do we get the life of God? Well, he tells us in this verse, in verse number three, look at the last part of the verse. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and virtue. And as I said before, that's much more than, than, uh, than just knowledge of facts. That is knowledge piled upon knowledge. That is knowledge that you get through knowing someone in a relationship. Remember last week I quoted that verse from Hebrews, and I'll quote it again. Remember what he said. He says it in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. He says that it is impossible to please God without faith. You can't please God with your works. You can only please God with your faith because those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. What, is, what does the author of Hebrews mean when he says you must believe that he is? You must believe that God is divine, that he's almighty. You must believe that he's there for you. You must believe that when you pray, he's there with you. You must believe that he lives in you and that he will never leave you or forsake you. And if you really believe that, then you have divine power because it's what's our conduit. I'll give you a hint of where we're heading here. What's our conduit? What's our pipeline? Our faith. And so the only way you're going to experience the divine power of God is not through your efforts. You're only going to experience the di divine power of God through your faith. You've got to believe. And it's impossible to please God without faith. And those must co who come to him must believe that he is and also that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Let me tell you something. You will not diligently seek God if you don't really believe that he is and that he's who he says he is. And that he really lives in you. And that he's really there when you pray. And if you really get down on your knees and you really believe that God is present, it changes the way you pray. And he rewards those who diligently seek him. Grace 
and peace are multiplied. And I'll promise you this. I know in my life it's true, and I know in just about every believer's life I've ever met it's true, and in fact all believers' life, the, the measure of our grace and peace depends upon our prayer life. Do, are we really praying a bunch of words? Or are we really praying in faith? Do we really believe that God is who he is and that he's there when we pray? Now, look at the last part of this verse. The last part of verse number three, who's called us by his glory and virtue. In the Greek, there's a word added there in the NASB, and even the nearly inspired version gets this right. It's his own glory and virtue. He says he's called us, here's, we could add, by his own glory and virtue, but there's, the preposition by is not there in the Greek. That's been added by the translators to make it good English. But I'm going to give you a better preposition there. And that's two. He's called us to his own glory and virtue. Do you understand that? That's your calling. You've been called to be just like Jesus Christ. You've been called to his own glory and virtue. Virtue means his excellent character. You've been called to be just like him in glory and in character. Whoa, wait a minute, pastor. What are you saying? I could never make myself like Jesus Christ. That's exactly right. You can't. But, you can, but the divine power of God can make you just like Jesus Christ in glory and character. And that's what he's given you. When you were born again, that's exactly what you received. You received more than just the divine power. Look, look at what he says in verse number four. By which have been given to us exceedingly. I always love these adjectives Paul and Peter use. Not just great. I would say great. They've been great promises. Exceedingly great promises. Better than great. I mean, how do you get better than great? The greatest promises. And precious promises that through these, now here's another verse, you got to take it word by word, that you might become partakers. That's the word kononia. You, you know that word fellowship? Communion? That you might come in communion with the divine nature. That word nature can be translated seed. The divine seed. Which by which the exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You know why I read my Bible every day? You know why I read it every day, or maybe every, most days? I got because I. That's what I'm. That's what my job is. Partially, I have to say that. But you know why I should read my Bible every day? You know what? No, because, because you know what's in this Bible? Exceedingly great and precious promises. I got to tell you something. You read your Bible and you're going to find at least one of those promises on just about every page of the Bible. Someone has said, has counted them up and they've come up with over 3,000 promises 
that God gives to us in this Bible. So you're going to find a lot of promises that will encourage you if you read your Bible. They're precious promises. Look at the adjectives he uses there. They're exceedingly great. They're greater than you can possibly imagine. They're precious. That's a word Peter used earlier. He talked about your precious faith. We talked about what that word meant last week. It, to precious means that it me, it's, it's more valuable to you than anything else. You know what the most valuable thing you possess is? It's your faith. And where does your faith come? It comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. And what's in the word of God? The promises of God. And they are precious promises of God. They're the most valuable things that you possess. I'm not, I don't have time to give you all 3,000 promises today. Unless y'all want to stay here, we'll, we'll list them all. Y'all want to stay here? We'll stay here about 3 or 4 o'clock this afternoon and we'll just go through all 3,000. But I've got to summarize those promises into just a few. and We'll do that instead. He's promised to save us. Oh, man, what a great promise, huh? He's promised to sanctify us, to make us holy, to make us like Christ in character and virtue, he's in, in glory. He's promised that if we delight in him, he will give us the desires of our heart. Well, he's not giving me the Cadillac I've been asking for. Well, you, because you're delighting in the Cadillac and not him. If you delight in the Lord, if the Lord's what you delight in and you want more than anything else, guess what? He's going to give you himself. He's going to give you what you're delighting in. He's promised to fill us with a spirit. Spirit of God, his very life, and give us power to live our lives and power for our ministry. You know, here's one I need. I need when I have a bad week and the devil gets on me and say, look at you, you can't be saved. You know what pops in my mind? That he promises to never leave me or forsake me, whether I'm good or whether I'm bad. Bad a lot, good some. But he promises to never leave me. I mean, you go to the Old Testament, and you read those passages in Jeremiah and Isaiah, and it says the Lord has forsaken you because you've forsaken him. Well, you can forsake the Lord. If you're a child of God, he's not going to forsake you. He's faithful when we're unfaithful. Now, he'll get you back. He'll make you realize that you, need, you don't need to be forsaken him. Because you're going to be out on your own with the devil and you're going to have lots of fun and then you're going to come back to the Lord. He's promised, he's promised that one day he's going to return. Man, is that not a great promise? And he's going to set up his kingdom on this earth and we are going to rule and reign with him forever. I like that promise. The more I look at this world today, the more I like that promise. Now, why are the promises of God so great? Why are they so precious? Let me tell you why. Because they are real. They are true. God always delivers on his promises. He can't lie. So if he promises it, if there's not a condition, there are some biblical promises that are conditional, but if there's not a condition on it, hey, it's a done deal. Is that the way the devil works? You know, the devil makes lots of promises. You know what the devil says? Man, I can give you happiness, and I can give you peace, and I can give you joy, and I can give you fulfillment. Just go out there and let me show you some fun. 
And I can show you all of these things that are going to make you really happy. And they might, sin has joy or a good feeling for a season, doesn't it? But it doesn't last. And it doesn't give you fulfillment because it's, the devil's promises are fake. They're lies. They're destructive. I mean, you guys go out and you buy your girlfriend or buy your wife. Uh, She's sure she'd love to have some really big diamond earrings. Well, let me tell you what you can do. They got these things called zirconians. <laughs> you go out and buy her a zirconian. And I, I'm going to tell you, let me give you a comparison of price. Those diamond earrings cost you two grand. Zirconian is 20 bucks. You put them in a package and you hand them to your wife. They're nice and shiny and beautiful. And she puts those diamond earrings on and she loves you and kisses you. And, you know, you have a great time. And, and uh, then she goes and gets a shower and they start turning yellow. <laughs> or she goes to the jeweler and says, how much are these worth? <laughs> he said, these are zirconians. Well, you know what your wife has found out? That those things are fake and that you're a fake. And that's what the devil does. He gives us all these beautiful, shiny promises. Of, of, of having this great happiness in life and fulfillment in life if we'll just follow his way. But after a while, it took me 40 years to let him have his way with me to where I was done with it. But after a while, you're going to find out that he's a fake and that he's a liar and he can't bring the fulfillment that he promises. And, and only God can because God cannot lie. Now, Look at the next phrase, and he sums up why these promises are so great, exceedingly great and precious. Look at what he says. Actually, go back. He says in verse number four, he says, by, by which we have been given, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you might become, become look at these. Look at the purposes of these Promises that you might become the partakers of the divine nature. Now, that's a pretty strong promise. That's a pretty precious promise. That's a pretty exceedingly great promise that you might become partakers of the divine nature. And then the second promise is that we might escape the corruption of this world. So there's two great promises, two great purposes of the promises of God. And that is that we become partakers of the divine nature, that we escape the corruption of this world. I want to look at the second one first. Having escaped the corruption that is of this world through lust. Now, if you escape from something, that implies that you have been imprisoned by something. You have been trapped by something. Let me explain to you what, how that works. When you were born into this world, you were imprisoned by your fallen nature. You were imprisoned by it. You were imprisoned, you were trapped, let me put it this way, in a fallen world. You couldn't help that. You had fallen parents, and they brought you in with a fallen nature into a fallen world. World, is this, the, is this world the way God intended it to be? Are you the way God intended you to be? No. 
We were born with a fallen nature in a fallen world, and we were trapped by that. We were trapped into a body that had a nature of lust. That's how we came into this world. But look what Peter says right here. He says in the last part of verse number four, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And listen to me, you've got to escape. You've got to come out of the trap. You must be born again. And if you don't come out of that trap, you will never see God. You will never see heaven. That's the only way you can see God and see heaven, if you escape that trap. Go with me over to the little book of 1 John, the very next book. And look down at verse number 15, what he says right here. Chapter 2, I'm sorry. 1 John chapter 2. Actually, go to verse 16 first. Let's read what he says. He says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, when you came into this world, were you of the Father or were you of the world? You were of the world, and that is not of the Father. None of that's going to make it to heaven. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. If you're still in the world, Lusting the things of the world, you're passing away. You're passing away. So what do you got to do? You got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and save yourself and come out of the world, right? No, you can't do that. Because you have a, you've been trapped in a fallen nature. Everybody understand what I'm saying right there? And, and let's go back to verse number 15 and listen to what he says in verse 15. Do not love the world. Are the things of the world, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You don't have the divine nature. And so you still have the nature of the world, and you're trapped by the world, and you're trapped by a fallen nature. And if you don't come out of that trap, you're dead. You're going to hell. That's it. And that's where most of the world is heading. You see why when Peter says back here, go back again, that that's an exceedingly great and precious promise? That he has delivered you. He has delivered you. Let me get to the right epistle here. He has delivered you. You have escaped the corruption that is the world through lust. You've escaped it. You don't love the world anymore because if you love the world, the Father's not in you. If you still love the world, the Father's not in you. So every one of you need to sell everything you've got, go up in the mountain, become a hermit <laughs> to be safe. And that's the way a lot of people interpret that. That's not what he's saying. And, and you've got to balance this with what we're learning in Ecclesiastes. God's given us the, some of the things in this world. The things of the world, a lot of things in this world are good. But there's some things in this world that are really bad. I mean, the things that are bad are, are our anger and our lust and our pride and our covetousness and our murders and our adulteries and our blasphemies. Those are the things of the world that the Father hates. But you came in with a nature that loved this world, that loved those things. Now, wait a minute, Pastor, man. Uh, you know, I, I, man, I'm not living this standard at all. 
I must be in serious trouble. Well, let me, let me add something here. I believe there are three kinds of Christians. I want you to raise your hand as I give you, tell you the one which you are. No, don't do that. First of all, there are spiritual Christians. Nobody's believing that, are they? Spiritual Christians, full of the Holy Spirit. They're unspotted by the world. They live a life of victory and peace and joy. And they bear much fruit. That's a, that's a spiritual Christian. What kind of Christian does God want us to be? That's it. How many of you? No, I'm not going to ask you. Then there are worldly Christians. Now, a lot of people, and then I'm going to give you carnal Christians. A lot of people would say those two are the same. I'm going to make the case they're not. They're not. They're not. You can be a worldly Christian and not be saved. But if you're a carnal Christian, you are saved. And I'd be willing to bet you that most of us fall somewhere in between maybe the category of carnal Christian and spiritual Christian. Probably we go back and forth, right? Worldly Christian. What's a worldly Christian? As someone who calls himself a Christian, but they haven't escaped this world of corruption and its lust. They still love the world. Now, if you love the world, then the love of the Father is not in you. So you don't have the divine nature, so you haven't been born again. Makes sense, right? They still love to get drunk. They still love to fornicate. They still love to hate other people. They still love to covet. They still love to lie. They still love to blaspheme. They love what God hates. Man, I am sick of the church in the United States because we have a church that loves what God hates. And I don't believe the love of God is in them. That's sad. But you can't love what God hates, what he calls an abomination. And then say you love the Lord because the love of the Lord is not in you. You can't hate other people. And I don't care if they're black, white, gay, heterosexual, you can't hate them. See, we get two extremes. You can't hate them and then be, have the divine nature because the love of God is not in you. You still love the world. You're still living the way of the world. Thank goodness carnal Christians can be saved. Thank goodness. Who are carnal Christians? They don't love the world. They've escaped its lust, but they're weak. They're weak in their faith. They're leaking a lot of power. And the reason they're leaking a lot of power is because they're carnal. And the reason they're carnal is because they're leaking a lot of power. You see how it works? It's an ever-going circle. Friends, I'll tell you, it's an ever-going circle. Until you come out of that circle and you leak power, you're going to be carnal. And, 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 and because you're carnal, you're going to leak more power. And, we're going to, and if we live like that, we're going to live in misery. But you know what the difference between a carnal Christian and a worldly Christian is? A carnal Christian doesn't love it. When he falls in sin, he doesn't love it. He or she hates it. They don't love it. And, and in fact, I think they hate it even more. They hate the world even more. When the world gets the best of a good person, of somebody who's been given a new nature, you hate the world worse than you ever hated the world. 
Don't you hate some of the things that make you fall? Don't you hate them even worse after you've fallen? But if you're still loving them, you're not saved. You know, I think a great example of a, all three of these types of Christians is found in Abraham, Lot, and Lot's wife. Stop and think about it. Abraham didn't like, they hated the world. And he loved the Lord. And he, was, he was carnal sometimes, but he was spiritual. He was a spiritual man most of the time, wasn't he? And then he had a nephew named Lot. Lot. You think Lot went to heaven or you think he went to hell? He went to heaven. You know why he went to heaven? Because he was a righteous man. He was a righteous man. Uh, you don't believe that? Go back to 2 Peter with me for a second. Look down at verse number 7, chapter 2, verse number 7. And God delivered righteous Lot. Now here's a guy who's living in the middle of Sodom and Gomorrah. He could have lived anywhere he wanted to, but he was right there in the midst of all this depravity. And I believe he, he loved the power he had in the city. He loved this position. He loved a lot of things about Sodom and Gomorrah. He loved all the good food, all the good restaurants. He loved everything that was going on. He loved being in the city, but it was a very wicked city. And he hated what was going on in the city because look at verse number eight for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented, tormented his righteous soul day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Now here was a guy who was trapped in a city by his own doing. But he hated the world. See the difference? He was carnal. Now what was the difference between Lot and his wife? His wife loved the city. She loved the world. And when they left the city, she wanted to go back. Lot would have gone back too if it wasn't going to be destroyed. Isn't that crazy? He hated it, but he would have gone back anyway. Just like some of us, we go back into things we absolutely hate over and over and over again. Things that we know are destroying us and we just keep falling back into those things. And we wonder why we're carnal, but, but we hate them. That's the good news. If you hate them, you're saved. And I'll tell you this right now, if you love those things, when I hear people get up and tell me they're a Christian and they love the things God hates, I'm not their judge, but I just say, stay away from me. Because you never know when lightning might come down. And you're lost. That's what I want to tell them. Now, The reason we hate this evil world, why do we hate this evil world? We didn't hate the evil world when we were trapped. And we were imprisoned by the evil world. But something happened. We were given, look at this in verse number four, we were given the divine nature. Oh, man. We ought to all fall on our faces right now and shout hallelujah. You understand what we've been given? The very nature of God, the divine seed 
We're a partaker of the divine. We fellowship, we commune with the divine. We commune with deity. We become a partaker of the very life of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he has become a new creation. With a divine nature, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. C.H. Parkhurst has this to say about our portion in the divine nature. Listen to what he says. He says, we don't become simply like God. That's why some people see this. You become like God. No, you become shareholders with the life of God. The, as the waves of the sea are partakers of the ocean. Or as the leaves of a tree share in the life of the tree, we share in the life of God. Man, that's pretty, some pretty exciting stuff. Now, that doesn't mean, as some people teach, that we're absorbed by God. That we become one with God. That, that God's in this podium, and God's in John, he's in me, he's in John's glasses, he's in this paper. That's pantheism. And that's one of the stupidest things I've ever heard of in my life. We don't become one with God. We maintain our individuality and God maintains his. We don't become God, but we take on the nature of God because you can't be God. There can only be one God. But we are the children of God. To as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become sons and daughters of God of God. The power, the divine power, the divine nature, the seed, the divine seed. Now when you think of a seed, what does that imply? That implies growth. There has to be growth. And, and look again at chapter 3. He's called us to his own glory and virtue. We're not there yet, are we? We grow into that virtue. We grow into that character of Jesus Christ. We grow into the glory. And one day when we see him, we will be like him. And how do we do that? Through our fellowship with him. Theos kononia, in our communion with him, in knowing him. That's how we grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. As Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, but we all with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We look at, you know, you see what he's saying when he's saying that? We behold as in a mirror. What, what, when you're looking at a mirror, what are you looking at? Yourself. In other words, you're looking at Christ, and as you behold him, the reflection of Christ emanates upon you supernaturally, and you grow in divine power. And Paul says we're being transformed, metamorphosized into the same image as Jesus Christ from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord, by the power of God. Man, amen? Amen. Is that not good? How do we look at Christ in a mirror? In the Word, by studying the Word, by living in His presence in prayer. And the more and more we study his word and live in his presence in prayer, we walk and talk with Jesus, the more and more we take upon his nature. Grace upon grace. Grace and peace multiplied to us. And that seed grows. 
and grows and grows. And we have all we need that pertains to life and godliness. If you don't have that, it's because you sprung a leak. If you're a born-again believer and you don't have the power of God manifested in your life, we don't have it, it's because we've sprung a leak. And what's the pipeline that brings the divine power into our soul? It's our faith. So you want to fix the leak? And you got get, you've got to get rid of unbelief. You've got to get rid of worry. You know worry will destroy your pipeline? Because what is worry? It's not trust in God. It's unbelief. You know, uh, worldliness, it'll destroy your pipeline. Because what is worldliness? It's unbelief. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if you really believe when you went in your closet that the Lord was there, in all his glory. And when you looked upon him, you were being changed in the image of the Lord. Instead of looking at that television set and being changed into its image, you, if you really believed that, you'd be wanting to be changed in the image of the Lord. And if we fix those pipes, we stay in the word and we believe those precious promises that are in this word. And we have kononia with Jesus Christ then our pipes aren't going to leak and we're going to live a victorious life. And listen to me, that's when you'll have the kind of witness that reflects the glory and virtue of Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for this great and precious promise that you've given us in your word. Help us all to take this to heart, Lord, and, and, and just get a lot more serious about not a bunch of busy work, Lord, but finding out where we're leaking. Fix that leak, Lord, and then let you do your work through us. What great, precious promises you give us, Lord, and they all come through our Savior and God, Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.